Oh man. Good morning. Are you ready? Have you been engaging with God's Word this week on your own? Great. It's life transforming and it's a, it's a pleasure for us to gather in this moment and proclaim God's Word together. I'm excited about this. It's important that we do this regularly and draw our attention again. I've really enjoyed this sermon series, Encounters with... Thank you for those who've been listening. If you are new to us, uh, if this is the first time, uh, we're, we're in a sermon series on encounters with Jesus, um, meeting a bunch of people who encountered Jesus and learning how Jesus encountered people so that we can be likewise in the way that we encounter the people that we're called to that we, so that we can be lights shining. Are you up for that? Yes. Great. Uh, so uh, today we're, we're going to be talking about Zacchaeus, so I'm going to try and keep it short. Hey, I've got four kids now. I've got to do dad jokes. I've just got to. It's, it's official. Um, uh, yeah, we're going to be looking at that uh, and, and looking at the significance of the table, looking at table fellowship. For anyone uh, who was around uh, in our sermon series at the end of November, I spoke about uh, sharing and eating and drinking um, and challenges around what it looks like that Jesus actually, in terms of his ministry, the Bible speaks about Jesus, the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. If you want to save the world, you're going to have to eat and drink. It's good news this morning, people. If you want to save the world, turn to the person next to you and just say that. If you want to save the world, you're going to have to eat and drink. Great. It's good news. Unfortunately, Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he, he was so often, um, he was so often, particularly as Luke's gospel portrays it, he was so often at meals, moving from meals or going to meals. He was always about connection. And there's something, there's something about our eating together. We are hardwired for connection around food. Ezra, who's three weeks old, and my fourth son, please don't ask me to remember all four of the names, okay? I'm tired. It's not going to happen. Uh, but Ezra is my latest. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and what, what is the first connection that he has? apart from the unbiblical cord or whatever we call it, um, he has this connection with his, with his mum. And actually, even that, the eyesight, the, the, the focal range of a baby is, is designed to, be, to go from breast to face. Like first meal, face time. I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? We're going we're gonna to watch a video in just a moment that highlights um, how important eating together is through our, throughout our lives. Can we, are we ready for that? Great. So good, isn't it? So good. We are hardwired for connection over food from, from day one, from day one. And so it's not surprising that Jesus, who was fully human as well as fully God, uh, used food and drink as his strategy to connect and to build connection. So um, if you didn't uh, hear that sermon or you heard it and you, f you need to be challenged again about having crumpets with your neighbors, and we're not talking about hospitality as this event where we, we, where we put a whole load of effort into two hours and we pull out all the stops. We're talking about a lifestyle that is open, that is welcoming, and actually it's easier if it's simple. Uh, and, and as Jesus modeled, it's also really powerful if you can be invited to someone else's home. Give them the dignity uh, of, of doing the hosting. We'll come to that in a bit. So do uh, check that out if you haven't heard. So I'm going I'm to use this opportunity um, to focus less on the, the food element in this, uh, in this passage that we've got today 
and get a little bit more underneath the surface, if that's all right. Uh, at the time of this passage, we're going to read it shortly. If you want to, you can turn to Luke uh, chapter 19. Uh, that's where we're going to be heading. Uh, but a little bit of the context um, that the religious leaders at the time would have really valued watching that video. They could have really done with the challenge because actually, uh, at, the, at the time of Jesus walking around on earth, um, the religious leaders had used food as a kind of way of either of, of bringing boundaries and barriers around people. If you weren't clean, or if you weren't this group of people, or there, is, there are reasons, or you don't eat with sinners, or you, you try and... Th- there were all sorts of ways that actually food became this thing that was about who's at the table, who's at the head. The, the, the many parables around, around a banqueting table and, and, and who sits where and all of that kind of stuff. There's so much in it at the, at the time. There's so much communicated around it. Uh, and yet, as Jesus uh, came on earth, he started to do things differently. He started uh, to shake things up because the table fellowship at the time was, was messy and wasn't doing the very thing that God had designed us for, which is connection. And this morning, I'm hoping that we get reconnected with God and, and learn some of the strategies to get connected afresh with each other. So that's the table fellowship. Just a little bit on Zacchaeus. Um, anyone a big fan of tax collectors? Yeah? Yes, there's one in the, one, someone over here. We, we all love it paying tax, don't we? We appreciate the, the health system, we appreciate all sorts that we get. Uh, but at the time, the tax collectors in the Bible times, they were well known for uh, creaming a little bit off the top for themselves. They were working on behalf of the Roman Empire, and the, um, uh, the Jews at the time thought this was, it, there was an oppression about it. It was oppressive, it was harsh, uh, and it didn't help that some of their brothers, or, um, who were tax collectors then, uh, would, would be corrupt and would take advantage of it. Uh, so tax collecting wasn't a particularly popular, uh, it didn't make you that popular, in fact it did the opposite. So we're going to pick up the story, thank you if we can have it on the screen, thanks Amy, and we're going to read together. Lord, open our hearts to this as we read. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Quick aside here, there's such a hunger in our wealthy town for who Jesus is. There is such a hunger in Cheltenham for the person of Jesus. No matter what you're driving, where you're living, people are desperate, desperate for the person of Jesus who you walk around with day in, day out. Don't don't be lied to about that. Uh, He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. He probably wasn't going to ask if he could just muscle through either because he was pretty much rejected in that crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Thank you. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. What an invitation. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to, the Lord, uh, said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Four times the amount was even more than was required by the Jewish law at the time. 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Salvation has come to your house. Salvation, sozo, this whole healing that is not just a, oh, he's ticked now the Christian box. He's ascribed to a certain set of beliefs. It is his life has been transformed. His value system, the things that he prioritizes, whether it's greed or wealth, it's, it, it's been completely shifted. Encounters with Jesus are not just, oh, can you convince me about a truth? It's does the person of Jesus Christ make a difference? Are, they, are, are we willing to say, now we have, I've encountered Jesus, I don't think I'm ever going to be the same. And this is a really clear example of that. As Zacchaeus, who has been known for someone who gathered money and exploited others for his own gain, suddenly he's giving half, away, half of his money away. There's a dramatic transformation. I wonder if you've got a story of a dramatic transformation. I wonder if the person of Jesus is that for you, or whether actually you've just subscribed to a certain set of beliefs. Great. I just want to get under the, the skin a little bit here. And, and one of the things I want to look at is, is the role of shame in this story. The role of shame. Uh, now, I had, you, you probably haven't had one of these moments recently, but I had one of these moments on, um, I think it was Thursday. No, it was Friday morning, uh, where I ended up saying the wrong thing. Now, I am slightly sleep-deprived at the moment, so that's my excuse, but sometimes I like to banter, and sometimes when you banter with people, it's not good, and you say the wrong thing, and you can immediately tell this hasn't gone down well. And I had one of those moments, um, I don't know whether it's my own filter kicked in straight away as soon as I said it, or whether it's the look on the lady's face after I'd said it, um, but I, I just thought, I have got to backtrack, I'm so sorry, that was not, that was not helpful. But in my, in, my, in my head, suddenly I'm like, you, you know that feeling where you're just thinking... Oh, I feel so stupid. I feel so stupid. I made such a mistake there. I wish I could rewind a little bit. And there's, there's just this kind of haze. And sometimes, for some people, I'm, I'm using a small example, but sometimes the things that we do become more than a haze. They, they actually become quite restricting. And they feel heavy on our chests. And I wanna, I wanna talk to you about shame a little bit because I could decide in that moment that I'd, I'd, I'd made a stupid choice. Or I could decide that I am a stupid person. And that's the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is something where you feel bad for a choice you've made. Shame is actually where you start to reflect on what it is for yourself, that you are. That behavior reflects on who you are, your identity. Your identity. I found this book, uh, I've mentioned it before, the, the Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. Super, super helpful. This man knows more about the brain even than me. He probably knows more about Jesus than me. It's a really helpful book. Uh, and I'm just going to read a little bit uh, from this. Apologies that it's not on the screen. It is crucial to note from the outset that shame is a neurophysiological phenomenon. In, is, not a ba- is not bad in and of itself. It is, rather, our system's way of warning of possible impending abandonment, although we do not think of it in those terms, and certainly not at very early ages. 
However, our problem with it is generally that we tend to respond to it by relationally moving away from others rather than toward them, while experiencing within our own minds a similar phenomenon of internal disintegration. Moreover, our response is largely a function of how we collaborate, or don't, with the relational capital we share with others, that when accessed appropriately will lead to growth and connection. And he says here, guilt is something I feel because I've done something bad. Shame is something I feel because I am bad. I wonder how many situations in your life you've gone through and you haven't filtered it properly. This often happens because uh, so much of this happens at a young age, where something we, we learn from a young age that you've done something bad. Am I then bad? The brain isn't mature enough until about the age of between three and six to understand uh, the implications of our actions on someone else and therefore to engage with empathy and guilt. And so before that, it, just it can easily get associated with our own self that's done something wrong or that needs abandonment. And so I want to put this a little bit in the context of Zacchaeus. And actually, so many of the different characters that Jesus meets, the woman who'd uh, been rejected from society for 12 years because of an issue of bleeding, she was isolated, rejected in her pain, and, and, and connection was robbed. And I think the enemy wants to rob us of any connection in any way. Now, the healing had been done for that lady who was, had the issue of blood, but Jesus wanted to point her out as a woman of faith in amongst the crowd who thought she was unclean. Because he's, he knows that actually the issue of shame can be much more... Um, much more unhealthy in our relationships than, than some, of the, uh, some of the physical stuff that we might have to experience or might go through. So Zacchaeus has, uh, has developed himself in an environment that is negative towards him. He's, he's living with rejection as a chief tax collector. There's a whole bunch of people who don't like him, and he's perhaps in a, a spiral of, of decision-making that isn't helpful. He's also short. Maybe that wasn't helpful for him as a kid. Maybe I've got a question for us this morning, and it's going to come up on the screen. Thanks, Amy. My question is, and I've forgotten it, so I'll just read it from the screen. Thanks. <laughs> did Zacchaeus become despised because he was a tax collector, or did he become a tax collector because he was despised? Oh, I enjoyed that sound. Thanks, that was nice. <laughs> did Zacchaeus become despised because he was a tax collector, or did he become a tax collector because he was despised? Maybe he was picked on because he was short. Maybe he didn't get picked on the school football team. What, what is it that happened in your early years as you were developing? Where did the enemy try and say that something hap that happened to you was because of who you are that was wrong? And therefore, we start to live out of a belief that is fueled by shame rather than who God says we are, rather than the fact that we are children of the Father. We all get to say, our Father in heaven. We are loved by God. We are cherished by Him. And so I think this invitation from Jesus is incredible. I think it's incredible. I think it's powerful, and I absolutely love it. Can you imagine if Jesus had said to Zacchaeus, hey, knowing that this is a man who's dealing with rejection and obscurity and all sorts of stuff in his life. Imagine if Jesus had said, Zacchaeus, I want you to come to my house for a, for a meal. Have you ever been dealing with shame and been invited to a party? You don't want to be around people. Shame isolates you. 
He'd probably be invited and, and, and Zacchaeus would say, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be there in 20 minutes and then just go away and hide. Maybe that's just how I deal with shame. Isn't it beautiful, wonderful, incredible of our King Jesus that he, he meets with this person who is living in rejection and battling shame and says, why don't you welcome me? Why don't you host me? Isn't that incredible? Isn't our God amazing that he would do that? That he would do that. And suddenly, the cycle of shame is broken. A table is set. The Lord is, in, is, is welcomed. I don't know where you're at, but I'm just this morning, but I just, I really want you to know, before we go any further, that God would pick you out of a crowd. He would pick you out of a crowd. There's people here this morning, and you need to know that. Because you are battling with shame. You're battling with stuff that you've done, mistakes that you've made, stuff that's happened to you that was not your choice and wouldn't have been God's choice for you. But still you carry shame about that. Because you think it's something to do with yourself and your identity. And Jesus wants to walk through the crowd this morning and he wants to choose you. He wants to choose you. I believe that this morning. He wants to walk up to the people who would otherwise think they have no place in this room or no place being near God. And he would say, I want to be in your home. I want to be with you. And I choose you. How incredible is that? How incredible is that? Whether you're feeling rough this week, whether you're feeling like you've got nothing left to give, whether your self-talk has been so detrimental, Jesus wants to break through this morning and give you courage again that he chooses you, he loves you, and he cherishes you, and he wants to sit with you and eat. The center of this is this table. Jesus welcomes us to a table. Have you gone unnoticed? Have you lived with rejection from an early age? Do you feel ashamed? How much would you, be, would you love to be given a chance to welcome? Zacchaeus had the money and the means to host well, but his life and the way that he'd lived meant that he was isolated. Wow. Wow to what God can do. Now, my situation uh, offending a lady on Friday, I did apologize, and um, it's all good. It's all good, just to, just to let you know. Um, I did apologize, but, um, but I was able to process with some, some small level of maturity and even in tired moments that the choice that I made doesn't define who I am. But some of us need to track back a little bit with that and remind ourselves that our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Colossians 3 says, what does it say? Let's go there. Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. You've been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died. If you've given your life to Jesus, you can do that this morning if you haven't. If you've given your life to Jesus, you have died to all that sin or any of the choices that you've made, any of the mistakes that you've made that would uh, cause you to feel shame or influence shame on your life. 
But when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. At the beginning of the Bible, the first people that God made, Adam and Eve, it said they were naked and they felt no shame. Who would, who would choose a life without shame this morning in this room? Can you imagine the freedom of living without shame? I think God wants to mobilize an army this morning that is not stuck with shame. So how are we, if I can assume that some of us in this room are racked with, perhaps what Zacchaeus was racked with in terms of guilt or shame or the habits of isolation and obscurity, whether it's stuff that we've put on ourselves or whether it's choices people around us have made, how do we move from the obscurity and isolation and rejection? Well, I want to suggest this morning it's the same way Zacchaeus did. I want to say we need a tree. We need a tree. Zacchaeus had a tree, but we also have a tree. And we're going to read about it in Hebrews chapter 12 very briefly. It's talking about running our race. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, just in verse 1. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Trust me, if you want to know shame, the crucifixion was the most shameful thing that you could experience ever. The humiliation of it. We have some pretty, uh, pretty stomachable images of, of the crucifixion. It, it, was, it was grim and it was humiliating, and it was, it was revolving around shame. But Jesus, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Zacchaeus climbed a tree. He had a tree, and it positioned him to encounter a God who absolutely loves and absolutely cares. And I want to tell you this morning, we too have a tree. We too have a tree. And it's the cross. It's the cross in which Jesus died, where he scorned shame. And he was humiliated so that we don't have to live under that humiliation anymore. So that we don't have to live under that shame anymore. I want to tell you this morning, we need a tree. So that we can welcome Jesus into our homes so that he can be, so welcome Jesus so we can welcome uh, the people around your, uh, the people that you're connecting with, the people that, that God wants you to witness to. We need to know that it's because of the cross of Jesus that breaks the power of shame and that reminds us that our identity, we are hidden with Christ in God. So we get to walk Christ around this town. We get to walk around and be invited to places and sit with people who other people might not want to sit with. We get to have meals with people that we might otherwise decide it's inconvenient to have meals with. That might be family members. It might be someone connected with our transform ministries. Who who knows who it might be? But it's not going to be led by shame. We're doing away with shame as a family here this morning. And we're going to walk in the truth of who God's made us and his identity. And I really feel like God wants to minister into that. Uh, So we're just going to take a breather. Just going to be still for a moment.
senses this morning that um, yeah, the Holy Spirit really wants to, to do some wonderful counseling this morning, to do some wonderful things. And I want to just remind us that this is a safe place. This is a safe place for us to connect with our Father God. So why don't you just begin to do that if you know what that looks like, if you're, if you're able, just begin to say, God, is there anywhere where shame is at work in me, where I'm, where I'm living out of a belief about myself that is fueled by lies and the enemy? I just sense God saying to someone here, you are not your father. Something specific, there's, there's, there's just a lie that the enemy's been, been communicating. You are not your earthly father, where that has been, where there's shame associated with that. Let's break that lie in Jesus' name. God, would you come and speak to us? Would you come and minister to us? Whatever it is that we need to hear. The Holy Spirit might just say something directly to your heart and to your mind or, or just be prompting you, reminding you of a situation. And God, we ask that you would come in and bring your truth. Come in and bring truth. He says, I have chosen you. He rejoices over us with singing. He delights in us. Some of you... Just actually in your imagination now, I just want you to climb that sycamore tree. Climb the tree and say, God, please, please pick me out in this crowd and speak to me. Okay, I'm just going to ask Toby if Toby's around, if he could come on the, the worship team, come and um, if, you're, if you're able to, would, would you like to stand? We're going to do some more um, ministry.